0: The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Now as we turn our attention to God's Word, would you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Romans, so just real quick recap to get us back. Last time we heard, Paul was crystal clear. In Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Indeed, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ, power to save sinners, power to bring dead people to life, to forgive, to redeem, to restore relationships, both between us and God and between us and one another, to change reconcile we've seen throughout our study of Romans that this gospel message this power is for anyone no one is so bad that they're beyond the reach of God's grace it's not just for anyone it's also for everyone no one is so good that they're beyond the need of God's grace it is for everyone and it is for anyone and it is absolutely free not without cost right Christ had to buy our redemption at the cost of his own blood, but he's giving, he gives it to us for free. So there's power in the gospel. But given that the gospel is so powerful, what's our response to be? How, how do we approach, how do we interact with this powerful gospel? And that's the question that Paul answers in our text today. He tells us that because there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should go and take the message to the world. Look with me at Romans 10, 14 through 21. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this, your word, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. So picture yourself with the disciples uh, just before Christ ascends to heaven. They go on a mountain, it's the 11 of them, and you're there like kind of hiding in a bush. Um, Jesus tells them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What do you think their reaction might have been? What would your reaction be if you're standing there And Jesus says, go make disciples of the whole world. You would look around for the rest of the people that God's talking to. Because Christ is saying this to 11 people. I mean, you kind of imagine them saying, I'm happy to do that, Jesus, but can we lower our expectations a little bit? The whole world is a really big target for 11 uneducated laborers. It's a daunting task, right? And that's why Jesus starts with, Because I have all authority, you go. Jesus is not commissioning them with a hopeful wish that some might be saved somehow. No, he commissions his disciples to go and take the message, the powerful message of the gospel to others and to trust him to do the work of converting. He is the one with authority. They are his messengers. They are his heralds, proclaimers of his great name. Evangelism today seems no less daunting than it did to the disciples. There are all kinds of obstacles that we face in our evangelism. We don't want to alienate our friends, our family members, neighbors, and coworkers. We don't want to be those weird people that everybody skips on Halloween because they give out Bible tracts instead of candy. There, there's an ever-increasing distance between the assumptions of Orthodox Christianity and the assumptions of our culture. It's just harder to communicate. The things that we believe increasingly don't make sense to an unbelieving world. We're self-conscious. We might be afraid of seeming backward or regressive or foolish. Evangelism can seem daunting. But in our passage today, we get some help. Paul puts a plan in front of us for our evangelistic efforts. And really, it's not all that complicated. It's just a three-step plan. A call to go, a call to speak, and a call to believe. So first, the call to go. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There is power in in the gospel, but that power doesn't do anyone any good if it never gets to them. There's power in a power plant. That's why we call it a power plant. But that power doesn't do anyone any good unless their home is connected to it by wires so that the power can go through the power lines and power your home. Just the existence of the power doesn't make a difference unless there's connection to that power. And so Paul here gives us the schematic of those power lines that get the gospel to real men and women. He takes 10:13 as his jumping off point. He said, "Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." And then he asks a question. How are people going to call on the name of the Lord? Well, they must believe in him. Okay, great. How are people going to believe in him? Well, they must hear about him. Okay, great. How are people going to hear about him? Someone must preach to them. How are they going to preach? Someone must send them. It's just a logical deduction from Paul that if people are going to call on the name of the Lord, someone must be sent to them. If the power of the gospel is going to go forth into the world, messengers must be sent. And brothers and sisters, you are those messengers. Too often we turn this into a missions sermon. We punt, right? And we say, this sounds really hard. I don't like to evangelize. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to be awkward. I don't want to be avoided by people. So we punt and say, we'll be the ones sending people. Paul says to us, you are the ones sent. Where have you been sent? It's not a difficult question to answer. Just ask, where are you? That's where you've been sent. Our God does not deal in coincidences and accidents. He has you where you are for a reason. It's not an accident that you have the job that you have. It's not an accident that you have the children that you have. You might think it is sometimes, but it's not. It's no accident that you have the neighbors, the hobbies, the friends that you have. You have been sent. Stay-at-home moms, you've been sent to your children. What a privilege to get to evangelize your own family members. Students, students, you have been sent to your school, to your friends. Employees, you have been sent to your coworkers. Wherever you work, wherever you, you play, wherever you live, wherever you are, you have been sent. So often when we talk about evangelism, we immediately think of some program that we need to have, some event that we can host. Evangelism may include some of those things, but that's not where it starts. Evangelism is the day-to-day calling of every believer sent out into the world. And you have been sent. When we bring this message of the gospel, when we go where we've been sent, that makes us beautiful. Look at verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Feet are not beautiful. Right? Weird little pinky toes, funny looking calluses, crazy smells. And those are just our feet. Think about feet in the ancient world. Sandals all the time, dirt roads, walked everywhere, nowhere to get a pedicure. Their feet were disgusting. And yet Paul says, because the message that these feet are bringing is so good, even the ugly feet of this messenger are considered beautiful. He's quoting from Isaiah 52, and on the inside cover of your bulletin, we have the rest of the verse here. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who who proclaim salvation. Who say to Zion, Your God reigns. In the book of Isaiah, the good news that this messenger is bringing is the restoration of God's people. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The people of Israel had been captured, had been carted off to different nations. They were in exile. The temple was destroyed. But here a messenger comes and proclaims to them good news restoration, salvation. You're not a people anymore, but God is going to bring you back together. You're hopeless, but God is coming to give you hope. Isaiah goes on to describe the reaction of the, messen- or the, the guards on the walls that, that rejoice to see the messenger coming and, and even turn around and call the rest of the city to break into song together. The message is so good that the feet of this messenger are beautiful. And brothers and sisters, our message is even better. It's not just for one city, it's for the whole earth. It's not just for one people, it's for every nation, tribe, and tongue. We have the greatest message of all, and we have been sent into the world to take that message. We are called to go. So that's step one of Paul's three-step plan of evangelism, a call to go. And like I said, you've already gone, you've already been sent, so check, Congratulations, you're a third of the way done with Paul's three-step plan of evangelism. What's step two? Step two is the call to speak. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul's clear throughout this whole passage that, that there's a speaking aspect to our spreading of the gospel message. In verse 14, he talks about hearing and preaching. Verse 15, he quotes Isaiah talking about good news. I don't know if you've ever watched a news program, but people talk a lot. Many times at the same time, trying to talk over one another, but there's speech. I don't know if you've ever looked at a newspaper. Newspapers are how people used to get news before Facebook. I don't know if you've ever looked at a newspaper, but there are lots of words on newspapers. There's content to the gospel message that must be spoken. In verse 18, Paul asks about Israel's hearing, about their understanding. But nowhere is he clearer than verse 17. Faith comes from hearing. There cannot be faith where there is no speech. One of the things that gives us difficulty in evangelism is that there are arguments out there that say we don't need to or, or it's wrong to. And even if we disagree with those arguments, we have those in the back of our heads, and maybe they're making an impact on us. So one of the things I want to do this morning is debunk a couple of those arguments that say either we don't need to speak or we shouldn't speak. The first argument against us actually speaking the gospel to people is what I'm going to call the tolerance argument. Tolerance is the chief virtue of our culture today, right? Tolerance, that you need to put up with everyone. Actually, they mean that you need to accept and endorse everyone, but that's beside the point. Tolerance, this argument says, you have your beliefs and I have mine. Let's just leave it at that. It says that that you're attempting to control someone when you try and get them to convert to your way of life, to your way of thinking. It says all religions are equally valid. So you don't need to evangelize because they already believe something that works for them. One way or another, the the tolerance argument says that it's wrong to try and convert others. It's wrong to try and get others to come around to your way of thinking. It might be insensitive. It might be culturally uh, unacceptable. Whatever the case may be, it's wrong. They make some true observations, right? But that doesn't mean their conclusions are right. So it's true that you have your beliefs and I have mine. Of course that's true but why do I have my beliefs? Why do you have your beliefs? Because you think they're right, right? Otherwise you would change them. If you knew that something you believed was wrong, you either need to go see a psychiatrist or you need to adjust your beliefs. So when we say you have your beliefs and I have mine, what they're saying is it's actually loving for you to let me continue my life under a delusion. That's nonsense. I have my beliefs because I think they're true and where they're different from your beliefs, I think you're living your life under a lie. So is it loving for me to let you go on believing those things? Of course not. It's actually hateful for me to say, yes, I think you're basing your life on a lie, but, you know, I don't want to impose. I, I don't want to get in your way. So I'm going to let you continue in that but zoom out to cultures, right? We, they say that on an individual level, but they say it on a cultural level too, at least when it comes to religions. There are a lot of different religions in the world. That doesn't mean that they're all valid. A lot of these religions have very sincere believers. Sincerity does not equal truth. The people at Jonestown sincerely believed that they were going to heaven. Sincerity does not equal truth. If I came to you after the service and and whispered to you and said, hey, I have something to tell you. I ate a banana this morning that gave me superpowers, and now I can fly. So this afternoon, I'm going to go to New York City and fly from the Empire State Building to Paris by myself for free. Actually, I'm not even going to worry about going all the way to New York. I'll just go to like a tall building in Columbia, jump off and fly, right? What would you say to me? Wow, it's great that you believe that so passionately, so sincerely, right? I, I love your enthusiasm. No, It'd be ridiculous. I'm going to kill myself if I jump off a building. You call my wife, you call a mental institution, you call somebody and say, Andrew is out of his mind. Sincerity does not equal truthfulness. So this tolerance argument that says that it's wrong to try and convert other people as long as their beliefs are sincere fails on a lot, of, a lot of different levels. But the key way that it fails is that it defeats itself. The tolerance argument is trying to persuade you that it's wrong to persuade others to change their beliefs. Let me say it maybe a little more clearly. It's trying to change your beliefs about whether or not it's okay to try and change people's beliefs it's trying to convert you to a view that says it's wrong to convert people do you see how that's contradictory do you see how how that defeats itself so don't listen to it this argument is not against conversion that's what they're trying to do to you this argument is against christianity So when someone gives you this argument, when someone says, you know, actually, I don't think you should try and evangelize. I don't think you should try and change other people's beliefs. Say, that's interesting. Will you tell me why? Listen to them. Let them explain it to you. And when they're done, say, thank you for sharing your beliefs with me and for trying to persuade me to change my beliefs to agree with yours. May I do the exact same thing now? Because what have you done? You've listened to them, respected them, and given them a hearing. You've entered into their worldview and and critiqued it from the inside and pointed out some inconsistencies. And you've opened a door to share the gospel. That's evangelism 101. Love and respect and listen to people. Speak to them where they are, but point out where they believe a lie. And show them how the gospel makes more sense. So that's the first argument, the, the, the argument from tolerance that says it's wrong to evangelize. The other argument that that probably more of us in here struggle with is the evangelism by lifestyle argument. Tolerance argument said evangelism is wrong. This argument says that verbal evangelism is unnecessary. Again, there are different forms to this argument, but it all boils down to one thing. Preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. It's not, we've all heard this, right? Some of us may even have said this. In other words, your way of life will be enough to convert someone. Just love on people and they'll naturally want to be like you, want, want to know what's different about you. And like the other argument, there are points at which we agree. Yes, our proclamation of the gospel should match a change in our lives they will know we are christians by our love yes adorn the message of the gospel with a life that reflects its glory and its power but brothers and sisters we must speak i know of no example today in church history and the bible of someone with zero knowledge about god looking at the way a christian lives their life and being converted it does not happen faith comes by hearing We must speak. How prideful of us to think that our lives are a good enough example to to convert someone. At, At best, that's a works righteousness method of evangelism. Because it says, look how good my life is. Don't you want to be good like me? Come to Jesus and you'll be good. That's not the gospel. We must proclaim Christ and him crucified, not us and the power of our lives. We're called to speak. And Paul actually gives us here the content of what we're called to speak, the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. We must speak. About what? Hearing by the word of Christ. A gospel message without reference to Christ, without reference to Christ crucified, is incomplete. In verse 16 of this passage, Paul quotes from the book of Isaiah, this time from chapter 53. During Holy Week, you probably heard this chapter a lot. It's the song of the suffering servant. It's the song of the one who was pierced for our transgressions, who is crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53 is about the servant of God suffering vicariously for people who deserve death. We do not proclaim Christ as an example of how to live. It's not the gospel. We do not proclaim Christ as a moral exemplar. It's not the gospel. We don't proclaim him as a motivation or inspiration for us to go and be nice to other people or for us to go and sacrifice ourselves for others. No, we proclaim Christ crucified. Brothers and sisters, I know it's hard, but you can do it. The speaking part is Probably the hardest part of evangelism for us, right? I mean, we naturally make friends. We naturally have co-workers. The go box is already checked. The speak box is harder to check. Because of this difficulty, though, we turn to gimmicks, right? You invite somebody over to your house to hang out with some friends, and they get there and find out that they're at a Bible study, right? You pull the bait and switch. You say, hey, let's go to a movie together It's really a Christian movie, but I don't want to tell you that because I want the movie to tell you about Christianity, so I don't have to tell you about Christianity. Right? We try all kinds of gimmicks to get other people to tell our friends and family and neighbors about Christ rather than telling them ourselves. You don't need to do this. It's simple. Share the good news about Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. The herald in Isaiah 52 doesn't worry about how he's going to start the conversation with the city. He knows he has good news, and so he comes in proclaiming it. A new grandparent doesn't worry about whether or not you're interested in the fact that they now have a grandchild. They're going to tell you about it, and you're probably going to see some pictures. We talk about good news. We, we naturally share the good news. We talk about what we love. Brothers and sisters, I know that you love Christ. Talk about it. So those are the first two steps, going and speaking. And finally this morning, the third step, which again is out of your hands, so you can check it. A call to believe. Look with me at verses 18 through 21. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. At this point, Paul brings the discussion Back to his main question for Romans 9 through 11. What about Israel? If there's power in the gospel, what about Israel? Why why don't they believe? Didn't someone speak to them? Didn't, Didn't someone preach to them? And Paul says, yes, absolutely, someone did. Their lack of faith is not because they have not heard. In verse 18, Paul quotes again from the Old Testament. He says, their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. He's quoting from Psalm 19, which celebrates the glory of God in creation and the glory of God in His Word. And Paul's saying that, that just like the glory of God is proclaimed throughout all the earth just by the fact that He made it, so this message of salvation has gone out to all the earth. His own ministry is evidence of this. The fact that Paul, a Jew, is proclaiming the gospel in Rome shows that it's going to the ends of the earth. Rome was the ends of the earth for Paul's day. And it's continued. Anytime we, we find a new people group, anytime we discover new places, the church sends missionaries. The church takes the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. It has gone forth throughout all the world. Israel cannot claim that they didn't hear. But even though they've heard, they didn't understand. Paul's clear about this. Hearing is necessary for belief, but hearing does not guarantee belief. Israel heard the gospel, but rejected it. And so so God calls other people to himself. Paul uses two quotes from the Old Testament to say basically the same thing. In both of them, God says to Israel, I am going to be worshipped. I will be worshipped. Israel, if you're not going to do it, I will call someone else to do it. And that's what he did. He called you. And he called me. The Gentiles are a part of the body of Christ, in part because of Israel's rejection. It doesn't mean that God has forsaken Israel. Verse 21 says God's hand is still open to them. He still holds out his hands towards them. And then chapter 11, Paul says, Though their trespass... Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Their jealousy is supposed to drive them back to God, not further away. But their rejection means our inclusion. What do we make of this end of the passage, especially as we consider the topic of evangelism? I want to suggest a couple points of application as we close today. First, not everyone is going to believe the gospel. Some people will reject it. That's Paul's point. How do we make sense of Israel rejecting this gospel message that they've heard? Someone's rejection of the gospel, though, doesn't mean that you have failed in your evangelism. The definition of success in evangelism is not whether or not the other person comes to faith. That's up to God. The definition of success in evangelism is whether or not we ever actually speak the gospel to someone. Look again at your bulletin, at the front cover, or the inside cover, this quote from Mark Dever. The Christian call to evangelism is not simply to persuade people to make decisions, but rather to proclaim to them the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus, to call them to repentance, to give God the glory for regeneration and conversion. We don't fail in our evangelism if we faithfully present the gospel and yet the person is not converted. We fail only if we don't faithfully present the gospel at all. You don't have to be convincing. You don't have to be a persuasive person to be able to evangelize. You just have to speak the gospel. But not everyone is going to believe. That doesn't mean that we've failed. That realization actually helps take some of the pressure off salvation is not up to you anyway if someone comes to faith it's not your fault if someone doesn't come to faith it's not your fault it is God who converts it's our job to be faithful so not everyone will believe but second some people will believe that's the other side of this passage right Israel is rejected but the Gentiles have believed God is in the business of saving sinners. His gospel has power. So proclaim it. History, our own experience, the Bible are full of examples of God saving unlikely people. In 1743, a young man was captured and pressed into service in the British Navy. He didn't like this, so he tried to desert. He failed, so he was caught and put in boat jail, which somebody told me between services is called the brig. He was beaten and he was whipped and he was resentful. And while he was in the brig, he considered killing himself, considered jumping off ship. He considered mutiny and murdering the captain. But eventually he got over it. You know, He's like, okay, I shouldn't have tried to abandon my post. I'll just see how far I can get in this world. And he got far. He, he came to captain a slave ship that literally went and sold, took people, stole people and sold them to someone else. But in 1748, when he found himself on a boat in the midst of a storm, John Newton called out to God and was converted. When you think about the song Amazing Grace, think about the author, John Newton, the captain of a slave ship brought to newness of life. He then went on in his life to work with William Wilberforce to abolish the slave trade In the British Empire. What an unlikely convert, the captain of a slave ship. God is in the business of saving people, and He can save anyone, so be bold. Proclaim the gospel. So, first, not everyone is going to believe. Second, some people will believe. But third, you don't know the difference. I don't know the difference. Nobody but God knows. The difference we don't know who's going to reject the gospel and who's going to respond in faith but the farmer doesn't consider which of his seeds he thinks are going to grow up and bear fruit and which are going to lay dead in the ground he just plants them all right don't waste your time trying to predict who is going to believe and who's not tell the gospel to everyone as god gives you opportunity I mean, look at the way Paul describes us in this passage. Verse 19, not a nation, so no identity. And even if we do have an identity, what's next? A foolish nation, not positive. Verse 20, did not seek God, did not ask for God. Paul has no category of someone who is seeking God. Anyone who is a believer, Paul says, has not sought God The people God brings to himself are those that aren't even looking for him. Don't hold back sharing the gospel from someone because you think it's unlikely that they'll come to faith. Brothers and sisters, it's unlikely that you would come to faith. Share the gospel with everyone. Finally, and this turns again to look at ourselves, make sure that you are not one who has heard but does not understand. Don't let what happened to Israel happen to you. This is a danger for all of us who are familiar with the word of God, who are familiar with the gospel. But it's especially dangerous for a few kinds of people. First, for those of us who have grown up in the church or just been around the church a really, really, really long time. Don't get me wrong. It's a great blessing to have grown up in the church. It's a great blessing to be part of the household of God. But there's always the danger of mistaking the fact that we know a lot about God for understanding him, for knowing deeply the gospel. Don't be one who has heard but does not understand. This is also a danger for those of us who constantly think about how the gospel applies to other people. So for me, as a preacher and as a teacher, I'm constantly thinking about how the gospel applies to your hearts and lives. I need to guard against only thinking about that. If you teach, if you preach, if you lead Bible studies, if you're one of these culture warriors who's always pointing out how culture and the Bible are inconsistent, if you're always thinking about how the Christian worldview triumphs over everything else, don't forget to let it triumph over your own heart. Don't be one who has heard but does not understand. If you find yourself wondering if that's you, Worrying, if that's you, take heart. Don't forget God's words in verse 21. All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God is still holding out his hand to Israel, and he is still holding out his hand to you. Maybe you've heard this message for the first time today. Maybe you've heard it every Sunday for the past 60 years. God is still holding out his hand. Take it. Embrace him. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ crucified on our behalf his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us, that we might know peace with you, that we might know newness of life. Father, we confess that we are often hesitant to speak. and Hesitant is putting a positive spin on it. Father, we are terrified to talk about you. Father, remind us that we have incredible news. Remind us that we have the power and presence of your spirit with us as we go. Father, help us to be faithful, to proclaim you, to proclaim the power of your gospel to the world. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.